You know, this is week 18 of our Gospel of John series. The Apostle John has been giving us some snapshots of Jesus, which form an album. John has the scars on his body of being a follower of Jesus. And when he wrote this gospel, he was close to dying. John had an agenda on his, or in his gospel. This was the last gospel written. And his agenda was that you might continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. You know, each week we watch Jesus, and we learn from Jesus, the Son of God, Messiah, King, Savior. Some of these stories I've been reminded we have heard a lot. Some of you have grown up in the church and, and recognize that these are dearly beloved stories. And so you wonder, Rick, is it that we're slow? Is that why you keep just going through John and, and hoping that maybe we get it someday? No. I'm enjoying the book of John personally as I open it up and as I listen to what God is trying to, well, open my eyes to. I'm sad at times on how blind I am on how long it takes me to learn and I think maybe some of us are in the same boat. But Jesus came to earth in order to offer life to those who scurry, to those trying to find hope. In John's gospel, we have seen Jesus do some pretty amazing things. He offers to rescue those who are religious and those who really only use God as a swear word. He pours his life into a group of aimless and confused disciples and builds their faith in spite of their slow learning. He restores people physically, emotionally, and spiritually. For the most part, crowds have been enamored with Jesus for his first two years of ministry. We've noticed that they even wanted him to be king. They wanted to proclaim him as king. They desired deeply that maybe he would overthrow the Romans and that there would just be food on every plate. It's kind of cool. We, we would like a Messiah, a king like that. But this was not God's way, and it was not the way of Jesus. So Jesus, as he started his second year of ministry, shocked the crowds and angered the religious when he proclaimed that he was the Son of God and that he was the promised Messiah. Jesus seemed to draw a line in the sand. He clearly communicates that he is the only way, that he, or, or he is the only one if you want to experience abundant life. Last week, we left Jesus teaching in the temple, some of which confused both the blindness of his brothers and the religious leaders. You are not going to believe what's going to happen today. 
Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and, and we do recognize, Lord, that there are so many distractions. Even as Danny prayed today, I bet someone have had some really hard weeks, and maybe even today was hard to get out of bed and to get here. Yet, Lord, we know what happens in our hearts as we meet with God's people and we refocus and we lift up our hands in praise to you. Something changes. We're reminded again of your power and your authority and your love. It's so easy to be distracted. Father, we know that there are so many folks who are hearing God's word this morning. We've already prayed for our kids up north, but Lord, I pray even now as they are worshiping you, as they are hearing your word, that your word would be so powerful that lives would be changed. We think of all the churches in the area, all the folks, Lord, who are proclaiming your good news to people, encouraging and strengthening we pray, Father, for the connection with Pastor Lamar Lark and for Emmanuel with Pastor Josh Peterson and for Torch of Faith with Pastor Mark Carter. Lord, each one of us desire deeply to be able to feed the flock well and that we would be ignited and encouraged because of your, your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be so abundantly active this morning that you, Father, would bring conviction where conviction is needed, encouragement where that is needed, and that we would leave here different. Not again because we met with people, although it's important, it's because we met with you. Pray all these things in your son's name, amen. I'd like you to turn with me um, in your Bibles to John chapter 7. And we left off at verse 24, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a summary of verses 25 to 36 before we jump in this morning. But if you look over that text, then you see again what's happening in Jerusalem at the temple well, the talk finally became a reality. People have been wondering if this Jesus would show up. And at the beginning of the festivals, we found out he wasn't there. But eventually, he made his way to the temple. And he was not only at the festival, he was actually in the temple and he was teaching. But we find out again that his teaching was so very, very different than anyone else who was teaching. He spoke with confidence as if he actually knew God. His logic was flawless and his authority grew with every word that he spoke. In many ways, the Pharisees were at their wit's end and their greatest nightmare was coming to life. Yes, the people were afraid to speak about Jesus, and they couldn't speak favorably, favorably about him, but the esteemed religious leaders knew they were losing control. 
these robed Hebrew leaders were not used to the powerful teaching of Jesus and were grasping to regain their authority. The pristine priests of the first century knew what multitudes were saying. Remember, these folks had an APB issued on Jesus, but no one was able to put cuffs on him. In fact, Jesus seemed unencumbered, not worried, not even threatened. On one hand, the locals were captivated by Christ's powerful message, and on the other hand, astonished by the lack of interaction by the temp temple's leadership. So rumors began to fly. Confusion reigned, and their ignorant folly began to shout. On the corner, right outside the temple, there was a falafel. Store. Eating place. And people started to talk a little bit. They were wondering... Have our priests changed their minds about Jesus? Maybe the priests really do believe that he's the Messiah. Around their nightly campfires. Remember, they had all these makeshift tents. These structures. This week of camping. And anytime there's a, a tent, there's got to be a campfire. And so all around the campfires, people continued to talk. And they said things like this, our leaders are all around, but they're not saying or doing anything. But how could Jesus really be the Messiah? We all know the anointed one will just appear. We don't know where he's going to come from, right? And the pooling of ignorance continued. The decorated and the pompous had finally had enough when Jesus told the crowds that he alone knew God, but they didn't know God at all. Oh, although they were constantly talking about the Messiah and waiting for the Messiah's arrival, he came. And you missed him, Mr. Religious Officials. You are blind to his arrival and will continue to be blind. Angered and riled up, these religious leaders sent the temple police to arrest Jesus. It's at this moment we're going to open up the word. So again, uh, please look at John chapter 7. We're going to start reading at verse 37 and read through 52. And I've asked Christopher to read our scripture for us today. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, Surely this is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others said, 
But he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? We have never heard anyone speak like this. The guards responded, have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. This is going to be good. By using water to illustrate the truth about himself, Jesus capitalized on a very prominent ceremony that was going to happen actually every day at the feast. As I mentioned, camping was a major feature and a focus of the Feast of Tabernacles. Families traveled to Jerusalem. They made booths or tents and lived in them. They were supposed to remember the miracles that God actually did as they were living and walking through the desert. So you can imagine a whole lot of different things were going on at this moment. But on each of the seven days, there was also a water ritual. Now, this ceremony was not prescribed in the Old Testament, just so you know. But it had become a tradition in the centuries just before Jesus arrived. This water ceremony, well, it focused on God's miraculous provision of water during Israel's wilderness wanderings. But what was really cool, as the years went on, it also anticipated the blessings of the Messianic age, about the Messiah. So part of it was building tents and remembering of God's amazing provision. Another part was that, well, God provided water numerous times for them, and they were blessed all the way through, so they were reminded of these blessings. And they also knew that when the Messiah was going to come, the king of kings. He will bring great abundance and great joy. And this will be a great time for all the Hebrews. It was also a symbolic time for rain, or, or, or to remind them uh, to pray for rain. All that being said, each day of the feast, the high priest drew water from the pool of Siloam and carried it in a procession up the hill to where the temple stayed. When the priest entered the water gate, which is in the south side of the inner court of the temple, there were three blasts that were sounded on a shofar, or on a ram's horn. I think.
You know, Dave, that was nice. <laughs> Except that was not a chauffeur, chauffeur. It was not, no, 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 Dave, 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 give us a blast on the sheep's horn. That was way too, like, symphonic. Oh, boy, get ready. <laughs> now, folks, that is an expression of great joy in the temple. You would think someone just died, but but it wasn't true. This was a horn that they were shouting out, and it was great joy and great, you know, abundance. And, and at the temple, there were some things that happened. First of all, in Isaiah 12, 3, they're reminded, and the scriptures have been read, therefore you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And the folks and the families would recite that. And at the temple, the priests march around the altar while the temple choir sang the Hallel, which is really Psalm 113 through 118. Before then, the, I mean, right after that, the water would be poured out as an offering to God. Now, let's picture this. But it is against this backdrop of the ceremony that Jesus stood and shouted. Now let me remind you again of a few things. There is, there are horns blowing. There's water being poured out. There's great joy and celebration. Everybody is kind of watching this happen. And in the midst of this celebration, Jesus stood stands up and shouts. So, okay, Rick, you're getting kind of excited about this. But first of all, rabbis don't stand up when they teach, just so you know. It, well, it felt demeaning. So they sat, and students usually sat around them. Shouting was never appropriate for a rabbi. It wasn't. They're older, and they speak with these nasal tones, right? And, and they sound so very, very edumacated. But not Jesus. He's recognizing this unbelievable episode. He stands up. And he shouts these stunning words. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Oh, we already heard him say some of those words to a, well, a lady in John chapter 4. But Jesus isn't changing his message. Christ's words would have coincided with this finale of the water ceremony where the priests marched around the altar literally not once, but seven times. There was anticipation growing. Our Lord was inviting thirsty souls to come to him for spiritual, 
eternal, life-giving water instead of the physical, temporal water of this ceremony. Jesus shifted the focus from quenching the physical thirst in the wilderness to satisfying the soul's spiritual thirst. Now get this, something only the anticipated Messiah could do. Jesus did something so very out of the ordinary. Everybody around, including the guards that were sent to arrest him, remember that, were in awe. They just stood there. Their jaws were open. What is going on? You can provide me a drink that will quench my thirst? Jesus. And almost by doing this, you're again shouting and proclaiming, I am your Messiah. I came to give this to you. But look at verses 40 through 44. Once again, there was confusion. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said he is the Messiah. Still others said, but it can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born in the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided. That's a great way for just saying the crowd was confused. Now, John records for us a few different viewpoints. Now, actually, not all of them are very biblical, just so you know. The first, he said, someone thought he was the prophet. In Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, Moses kind of talks about a person that is going to come and be able to give life and abundance. Well, somehow the Jews in their theology separated this prophet from the Messiah. Others were saying, hey, no, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the anointed one. They, they got it right. Others were kind of confused about the birthplace of the Messiah. Like, we're never even going to find out where this guy is from. He's just going to uh, show up. And yet the Old Testament scriptures pointed over and over and over again that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. And it just showed their ignorance again, thinking that Jesus came from Galilee instead of being born in Bethlehem. But what's so unique is look at the temple guards and what happens in verse 45. Then the temple guards were returning without having arrested Jesus. The leading priests and Pharisees demanded, well, why didn't you bring him in? In verse 46, we have never heard anyone speak like this, the guard said. Now again, maybe you're looking at some military men, and maybe the military men aren't as religious, and maybe they're out on the front lines or whatever, but, but these guys were the temple guards. These guards literally were around the temple the whole time. They heard all kinds of preaching, all kinds of teaching. They understood exactly 
what the Bible had to say. They were sent by their authorities to arrest Jesus. These men were qualified. And something happened. They were mesmerized. These seasoned soldiers, although they feared their superiors, did not do what they asked. And when asked about it, all really the guys said was this, hey, Hey, guys, you sent us to arrest Jesus, but we have never heard anything like this. We have never heard his words. We have never seen the love that's in his eyes. We were mesmerized. And the leadership comes back and says, oh, are, are you being deceived too? Look at all of these people who are being deceived. Do you see any of us religious leaders that are being deceived? No. We are the ones close to God. We are the ones that know the scriptures. We are the ones that know everything. Do you see us following Jesus? Of course not. And yet, how could you deny the changed lives? The miracles that Jesus had done. The lives who have been transformed, the deaf who could hear, the lame who could walk, the little girls who could breathe again after being dead. This was not just some teacher. This was the Messiah. The Pharisees' blindness is appalling. But before I throw any stones, I have to ask the question to me, what am I blind? What seems to be so clear in your word, God, but because of culture or because of maybe this is how I read this verse or that verse, I, what are you trying to teach me? Because I got to be honest, I don't want to be like the Pharisees. I want, I want to be someone that understands what Jesus has to offer. And when he gives us an opportunity to experience abundant life and enjoy eternal life, I want it all. Now, I'm going to try to make sense of this, and there's a couple of things I just want to hit before we close up. And, and one thing is this, is Jesus is relentless in his message. He's absolutely relentless. He keeps talking about the same thing over and over and over again. You guys are thirsty. I have some water. You guys are hungry. I am the bread that will satisfy you forever. You keep looking at other pools and cracked cisterns, and it's never going to satisfy you. You keep trying to get bread from other arenas, and you know what? It's never, ever, ever going to work. Jesus kept telling them that he was God. And as God, he alone can satisfy your thirst and equip you for the journey. He then makes an offer and a promise. First the offer, then the promise. The offer is this. If you are thirsty, come to Jesus and drink. You have to, every one of us, whether it was back 2,000 years ago or today, you have to recognize that you're spiritually empty. 
that each one of us have come to a place where we say, you know what, life does not satisfy. I need to find out who's given the good water. Who's going to quench my thirst? So the offer is, if you know you're thirsty, come to Jesus. Acknowledge he alone is the source of life, that you can find life in no other place. And then he says, drink. Drink. We appropriate Christ by our faith. He didn't change his words. And his words are still as powerful today. But then he made his promise. He said this, rivers of living water will flow from your heart. I actually think he's talking about two things right here. And two things I think that will encourage you. First of all, he's saying that those who drink, those that come to me, those that are satisfied by me, you will bring refreshment to those around you. Your message, your actions, as you stay close to God, as you draw from your relationship, you begin to mirror the Lord. You begin to reflect God. And every place you go, people are refreshed. And every place you go, in fact, people want to hang out with you. People want you to work for them. People want you to come home. People want you around because as you walk with God, these rivers of water, this joy comes out. And we're not talking you never get sad. But there's something even in the midst of crisis around a hospital bed. As we look at someone who's lowered into the earth, as we get well, that special message from your boss and say you're not working here anymore. There's something that is different about a person who walks with the Almighty God. But John actually, in his commentary, brings up something new. And let's clarify and focus on Christ's spirit message here. What he's actually saying is that those who've responded to Christ's invitation received the living water of salvation that was offered that day. That's awesome. But they also will have the Spirit. But the Spirit would not be given in fullness until several months later. Actually, on the day of Pentecost following Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. And sometimes we get a little bit confused when we start talking about the Spirit, and I don't think we need to be. I, I think it actually should be life-giving for each one of us. But since the close of the transitional period in the book of Acts, all Christians, all those that come to faith, all those that believe in Jesus receive the Holy Spirit at that moment of salvation. John's commentary needs an explanation because I don't want you to misunderstand at all what the Spirit is to do. Our Lord is not saying that the Holy Spirit was not present or active at that time or in the past in any redemptive way. 
I just want you to know. He was saying that there was to come for believers a giving of the Spirit by which unique power would be provided for both ministry and evangelism. You see, prior to Pentecost, the Spirit was the author of repentance, the power behind regeneration. He also illuminated believers in the face of persecution. But the truth was, the Spirit indwelt certain people at certain times for certain assignments. Not everybody before Christ's resurrection or before Pentecost had the Holy Spirit living in them. That perhaps is the greatest of all things that believers or Christians or God's kids experience after Pentecost. In fact, we're going to spend a whole lot of time coming up at the end of John where Jesus literally is telling his disciples in almost his last words before he heads out to the garden, stretches out his arms, and dies. He's saying, it's better that I leave. There wasn't one disciple that understood that. Are you serious, Jesus? We've been hanging out with you for three years, and we like you. <laughs> Jesus is going, no, no, no. It's going to even get better. When I leave, the Holy Spirit is going to live in you. The Holy Spirit is available to you every moment of the day. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you. The Holy Spirit is going to... Oh, man. Can't wait till we get to the end of John. But we're not going to go all there at this moment. What I am going to say is this. The Spirit was a big deal, and it's a big deal today. It is. The other thing I wanted to just touch on was that Jesus used a cultural tradition to proclaim kingdom truth. As I mentioned to you before, Certainly, every male for sure, but families again followed wherever dad went, were supposed to participate in at least three festivals every year. Well, as I mentioned, one of the festivals was the Festival of Booths or the Festival uh, of Tents, what, whatever you like to call it. And, and what happened here is that the only thing in the scriptures that they were told to do was to be able to make these structures. Well, there were some other traditions that followed. And one of them was this ceremony that took the water and went all the way up to the temple. Now, it's not a bad thing. It was probably a great time of rejoicing. There were, again, songs that accompanied it. And don't forget the shofar. I mean, if you have any part of a service that's got a shofar, that, that is probably like the best of all services, you know. So these guys are jacked, you know, and excited. But Jesus chose. He says, you know what? This is another perfect time. This is the perfect time for me to remind them once again, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you're looking forward to. I'm the one that's going to quench your thirst. 
And you need to believe because your life will be transformed. Whoa, that's pretty cool. But believers, believers who respond, Jesus says this. He says, anyone who believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. The Lord's words were not a direct quote from any specific Old Testament text, but reflected quite a few Old Testament texts. And as I shared with you before, Jesus took advantage of something that wasn't necessarily biblical but good to remind others of a message and to share with each one of us that believers for the most part have something inside of them that will gush out. You know, the opposite of a river is a pond. And I don't know if you've noticed, especially small ponds, they always have these, like, bubblers. And being I'm a great scientist and understand all the dynamics of pond, um, I ask some questions. Well, the whole reason you aerate, <laughs> and if you have a pond and I'm wrong, just go with me on this one, okay? But, but the truth is, is that ponds stagnate. Ponds just sit there. Ponds kind of well, need some movement. And so they have this bubbler, and it moves around, and it allows the pond to be fresh and having fish and not smell so bad. I don't know. But I know this. There's a difference between a river, a flowing river. And we are called. Do you get it? Believers are and get to be channels through which rivers of living water are sent to others. I think one of the main reasons God doesn't take you home immediately when you come to faith is so that you can be a refreshing river wherever you are. You know, I see this sometimes happening on places like Super Bowl Sunday. I say, really? I, uh, we're over that, Rick. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I just thought I'd bring it out. Is there's opportunities for each one of us, whether it's Super Bowl Sunday or whether it's a barbecue. Uh, the snow will be leaving someday. You will be able to go out in your backyard. And you'll be able to have some neighbors over. And you'll be able to refresh and encourage and strengthen them. But you know, I see something coming up just like this, and that's Easter. Easter is usually a window in our culture. If we're honest, at least in the United States, as far, I mean, I understand that we are becoming less godly, and I understand that the enemy seems to be winning a whole lot in the United States. But I also understand that many people around Christmas and around Easter are open. They at least allow you to talk about your faith. Maybe you live it for all the other times. But this year, our Easter series, and we're going to be giving you some more materials, some more opportunities for you to be able to pray specifically for it. But we're going to be looking at a three-part series starting on Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday, 
And it's called Undeterred, Undeserved, and Undefeated. And we're going to focus on each one of those days on a certain aspect of Christ's life. The reason I'm bringing it up is that, you know, I don't know how many opportunities you have to talk on the job about your faith. I don't know how many times you as neighbors get to chat or as you're working out at LA Fitness and jumping up on those little, um, you know, stairs or whatever you do. And, and I don't know afterwards if you're able to connect with anyone that doesn't know Jesus. But I want to encourage you even today that you begin to pray today and say, God, could you use this upcoming Easter time for me somehow to talk about the resurrection and what Jesus has done in my life, how he's changed my perspective and how he has satisfied my thirst and taken care of my hunger. We've got Gospels of John that we've encouraged you to take and to read and to give away. We've got other types of literature that maybe if someone is interested, you might be able to share good news of what Jesus has done in your life. So as we look at Christ in the same message that he gave over and over again in this most unique way, some of the people remained blind and others had their lives changed. Sad thing is, there's probably going to be a whole lot of blind people as we live our lives and proclaim this message. But may God give you the strength, in spite of that, to share good news and be raging, roaring rivers of hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the way that you were relentless in your message of hope. Even in very hard times, times, Lord, that literally... People wanted you arrested. You stood up. You didn't run. You shouted out a message of hope. And there were some, Lord, that, well, didn't respond. And there were some, Lord, that never heard anything like this before. And we don't know if they responded. And yet we do know, God, that there were people that came into your kingdom that day because you shared the message that your dad gave you. We are so grateful. We are so thankful, God, that we can come to you by faith, that we can be a son and daughter, that even now, Lord, we can have the Holy Spirit dwell in us and guide us and strengthen us and convict us and and God, we are overwhelmed by your grace. We love you. And pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.